edition of Kiwi Trips to mighty Massachusetts. Anchoring New England, we dive into the history, culture and cuisine of Boston. Heading south, we go to Kennedy Territory, Cape Cod. And west of Boston, we check out the delights of Springfield. Join us for a roadie around the mighty mass. We're back with Kiwi Tripsters Travel Podcast. Get ready and take off to spectacular destinations as we continue our journey and share the inside word on all things travel. Whether it's luxury travel or backpacking on a budget, whether it's cruising or foodie trips, we've got you covered with top tips and tricks so you can have an amazing travel experience. And now, over to your hosts, Mike Yardley and Andrew Seppi. Welcome aboard another episode of Kiwi Tripsters. I'm Andrew Seppi. I'm Mike Yardley. How magnificent to be back with you, Andrew, with my head cold. Isn't isn't it just? You sound all right. Do I sound all right? I thought I had a nice sort of reverberation today. Nice and husky. Very husky. Right. Uh, Let's start in Boston. It's very contemporary. It's a progressive city, but it is also very proud of its history. Yes, it is the USA's oldest city, and Boston proudly wears its history on its sleeve. You only have to look at its trademark brownstone architecture or take a jaunt down those craggy cobblestone streets all around the city centre. In the downtown and the waterfront area, old mingles with new. Absolutely. Definitely step out on the four-kilometre-long Freedom Trail, which follows the footsteps of the nation's founding fathers, very much the birthplace of the American Revolution. Yeah, now let's take a look at the essential stops on the Freedom Trail. A true gem is the old State House. It's the scene of the Boston Massacre in 1770. The balcony was the scene of happier times six years later when the Declaration of Independence it was read out loud to the public for the very first time. Yeah. And not far, actually, from the old state house, another signature is Faneuil Hall Marketplace. It was built 30 years before independence, so there was a lot of history in the lead-up to the revolution taking place there. For example, Samuel Adams, he would champion resistance against the British at the marketplace. The whole no taxation without representation, that um, uh, the marketplace is very much the cradle for that call. Uh, Faneuil is considered by locals as the birthplace of liberty. I, I, I can't help thinking that Faneuil sounds like someone saying Daniel. Faneuil, 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 <laughs> Sorry, but it just every time I hear it, I'm like, it's, it just sounds wrong. I know. Fenu. It's got a very unusual spelling to the point where I had to check how you pronounce it because it's spelt F-A-N-E-U-I-L. Mm. So I thought it might have been French like Fanuil or something. <laughs> but but it's, no, it's Fenu. Fenu. <laughs> so anyway, from the illustrious days at the, the Fenu. Fa- the founding fathers are turning in their graves they anyway. Are, they are. Samuel Adams would be a Appalled. See, that's what I mean. Samuel Fenuel. <laughs> it might have been his, I don't know, rhyming brother. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the marketplace nowadays is a bit of a tourist trap. So you've got quite a lot of shops and restaurants there. But the good thing about it is it's a great place to go to get your fill of lobster rolls and clam chowder. Now, the start well, start and finish point of the Freedom Trail is gorgeous Boston Common, which was originally a 
cow paddock. <laughs> now, the common is best known because of its status as the oldest public park in the country. Mm. What they say, the lungs of Boston. Yes, very much. And directly across the road from the common, you've got the Massachusetts State House, a beautiful golden domed building. And a short walk from there brings you to perhaps my favourite part of Boston, Beacon Hill. And this is where you will want to linger and immerse yourself in its characterful beauty. It is just, you know, Instagram heaven, awash with quaint cobblestone-lined alleyways, corners dotted with gas street lamps. It's like something out of the 1890s. Stately townhouses, all in brick, uh, with big bay view windows and massive flower displays. All these window boxes outside these townhouses, it's Stunning. Now, if you're a fan of the TV show Cheers, uh, make tracks for Boston. Cheers was great. Norm! (laughs) Sam Malone, who was the old um, Red Sox pitcher, which was Ted Danson. Anyway, Beacon Street, you'll find the bar that actually inspired the program. Originally founded as the Bull and Finch Bar, the building's exterior is instantly recognisable. Yeah. And, of course, Cheers gave way to the spin-off Fraser. Yes. Uh, starred Rhea Perlman. Uh, it was huge. Mm. And then Kirstie Alley, who that's recently right. slipped Passed off the perch. Yeah, that's yeah. true. The cool thing about going to uh, the Bull and Finch Barn now is that they've actually, understandably, embraced the whole Cheers theme inside. So even though the interior of the bar was not used in the TV show, they have turned it into sort of like a shrine to the TV show, so... Well, um, why wouldn't you? Well, that's that. I mean, it's American commerce at its finest, isn't it? To you be know? honest, I always thought Cheers was the best of American comedy. Yeah. It wasn't so canned laughter, slapstick, you know, obvious jokes. They had some really, really intelligent humour, which to me was rare in American comedy. By the way, if you like your baseball... Yes. The season starts in April, mm. so you won't want to miss a game at Fenway Park, which has one of the most distinctive paint jobs. They even have got the name of the paint classified as its own hue. They call it Fenway Green. That's pretty cool. Isn't that brilliant? Yeah. Yeah. I want to have a house in Fenway Green, please. Now, given your lust for Italian... And Italians. I was just going to say that. I'm sure you've found your way to North End, Mm. which is Boston's Little Italy. Oh, yes. This place brims with your Italian classics. If you're into Sicilian-style seafood like black linguine and calamari meatballs, go to the Daily Catch. Such a cool place. You've got to pick up a cannoli at Mike's Pastry. Mm. Of course. Mm. The North End is also home to Neptune Oyster, a brasserie-style raw bar with a red-hot reputation for its perfectly shucked oysters and lobster rolls. Mm. And I tell you what, check mm. out Neptune's Johnny Cake. Neptune's Johnny Cake. I thought I'd better have a nibble of this. Mm-hmm. So it's a cornmeal pancake with smoked <laughs> bluefish, honey butter. Ooh. I've never come across honey butter before. And neither have I. Very nice. And you also get a dollop of caviar. It is pure decadence. You like caviar? I do, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. There's, there's some fishy things I don't like. there's that whole thing about caviar being an acquired taste i and i guess to for it to be an acquired taste you have to acquire it which means you've got to have it i don't really eat caviar but i'm sure i could anywho boston brims with cool outdoor spaces but the rose kennedy greenway is a two kilometer long sequence 
It's a sequence of parks and gardens built on top of a former highway. There's a lot of controversy about this because it was all done as part of what they called Boston's Big Dig. And it sounds like a beach competition in the 80s, <laughs> but does. Yes. Yeah, it does. So it was in the 90s that they set about doing this massive undergrounding of the city centre's highways project. So the budget was set at $2 billion, right, back in mm. 92. By 2007, when it was finally completed, undergrounding all of the main highways, the price tag, $23 billion. So a bit of a blowout. <laughs> Sounds like Wellington's little highway project. It does a bit. Yeah. Um, then again, it is spectacular. So since opening since 2008, you've got this sprawling green space all through the heart of Boston with public art displays and bubbling fountains and carousels and food vendors. It is really cool to explore. Okay, stay with us. We head to the waterfront and take to the water in Boston just ahead. Don't go away. You're back with Kiwi Tripsters, Mike and Andrew. Michael has a head cold today. And I actually had fruit salad for lunch yesterday. And Okay, I know. I had fruit salad for lunch yesterday and actually split the end of my tongue. Have you ever done that? Oh, no. I know. That is brutal. I know. And I'm talking kind of weird. I'm like, Was it pineapple? Yeah, pineapple. Lethal. Yeah, yeah, I know. Pineapple, grape, melon. It was a nice fruit salad, but my tongue split right at the end. Hate that. And I feel like I'm talking like, Ugh. anyway, uh, we swing our way across Massachusetts. Of course, the lights all went down in Massachusetts. Thank you, Andy. Which is the BB, <laughs> the BG song. In fact, it's not really a song. If you look up on Google, it's uh, the lyrics. It's a quick search. Yes. It's actually like a short poem. Right. And it became so famous. Yes. Absolutely famous. Would you like to sing it to the audience? And the light. Have you ever gone to Google and done a search on a term to see what questions have been asked about it? Yes. So before this, I did uh, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And the number one asked question about Massachusetts is, is it in New York? So people are asking, is the state of Massachusetts in New York? Oh, my goodness. Uh, And these people were in New Jersey, right? Probably. Uh, (laughs) Boston, the waterfront beckons with a spoil of offerings. Yes, central to the city's backstory, of course, the Boston Tea Party Ship Museum. And it offers a really entertaining look at one of Boston's history-making uprisings. You can toss fake tea overboard into the water. Oh, how lovely. Um, They've got really cool replica ships that you can climb around. If you tossed enough tea into the water, it would actually be a big cup of tea. (laughs) You need a lot of milk. Yeah, uh, There are 3D holograms. I do love a 3D hologram. I think every home should have a 3D hologram. I thought holograms were a 3D. Can you get 2D holograms? I think you could potentially get 4D now, couldn't you? Where they have a little bit of sort of mm. um, extra effect, you know. Bit of something extra. Give you a spray or something or, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe your milk for your cup of tea, Andrew. Um, they've even got like a Robinson tea chest there, an authentic tea chest from the Boston Tea Party. Now, further around the waterfront, the Charleston Navy Yard is home to the epic USS Constitution. Ah, oh, I love big ships. Mm. And this historic vessel is just top shelf. The world's oldest commissioned warship, still operational today. So it's fondly named Old Ironsides. She's helmed by U.S. Navy sailors 
who also serve as the ship's guides, which is nice, launched in the late 18th century. This triple-masted, wooden-hulled, heavy frigate has notched up so many victories. Now, she earned the nickname Old Ironsides during the War of 1812 against Britain when enemy cannonballs bounced off her resilient wooden hull. Yes. Very nice. She still sails once a year on Independence Day to retain her naval rating. Yeah. She's got to go out of the water, even if she doesn't want to, if she wants to keep that rating. Um, heading up from the shipyard, I know that feeling. You know what I mean? No, let's not go there. Oh, let's not. Heading up from the shipyard, I gave myself a much-needed workout and a head clearer to reach the Bunker Hill Monument. Now, the first major battle of the American Revolution took place here in June 1775. The Brits actually won the opening battle, but fared worse than their American foes. There were about... 1,200 British troops who lost their lives on that hill. Yeah. The monument itself is gorgeous, but it's the observatory that people really go for because that view is just sizzling. You will have to work for it, though. 294 <laughs> steps to the top. I did count. Oh, little stroll. <laughs> now, you do need to take uh, to the water in Boston, and the Boston Harbour cruise departs from the Long Wharf, uh, where the British first arrived and departed from, and founding the city in 1630. Yeah, so, I mean, it's a lot of history, isn't it? But I do think it's great that that's where the Brits sort of rocked into town and then were sort of sent on their way <laughs> from the same wharf. I also learned... And this sling is, your hook. Exactly, sling your hook. Um, 75% of Boston sits on top of man-made land. Isn't that incredible? Very interesting at the moment, too, with all our debates about reclaimed land yeah. and what happens in rain. Yes. And earthquakes. Yes. And tsunamis. Very true. Yeah. So, yeah, it's quite a precarious sort of city, I would have thought. Another fun fact for you. Next time you tuck into some beautiful oranges from Florida, Boston's wastewater plant produces fertilizer, which is used on the orange groves of Florida. Oh, no. <laughs> My very perky skipper on the Boston Harbour cruise also drew our attention to the clock tower on Customs House. I love this. And he said, now, just look at it. What's wrong with that clock tower? And <laughs> the locals call the clock tower the four-faced liar because the winds can be quite strong in Boston. Oh, oh, yes. And it moves all the clocks, hands around rather wildly. So do not <laughs> trust it as a timepiece. It is totally useless. Oh, no. Nearly as useless as an Auckland mayor in a state of emergency. Is that bad? Mm. Right. Mm. Very unreliable. Mm. At Central Wharf, the wooden New England Aquarium is an absolute must, particularly if you have children in tow. Inside, you'll find thousands of marine critters. Oh, yes. And the centrepiece is the giant ocean tank. And man, this thing is a giant. Oh, this is, this is huge. This is kind of like Kelly Tarleton's on peptides. You know, it's... <laughs> You feel like you've actually fallen into the ocean, it's so big. Kelly Tarleton, there's a great 80s name, isn't Wasn't it? it? Yeah. 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 So within this giant ocean tank, you've got like a coral reef. Uh, you've got green sea turtles, the best. Eels, barracuda cruising by. They've also got um, a fantastic penguin colony at the aquarium. And I didn't realise this, Andrew, but mm. were you aware that penguins are only naturally found in the southern hemisphere? Yep. Oh, okay. I'm the... Oh, one out. Ignoramus. Yes. yes. I knew polar bears weren't to be found here. That's a great trivia thing. Yeah. Penguins are at the South Pole, mm. but not the North Pole. 
True, true. Mm-hmm. And vice versa for the polar bears. Yes, indeed. Yes. Indeed. By the way, be sure to give Myrtle the turtle a wave. Myrtle the turtle is 90 years old. She's a green sea turtle in the giant ocean tank. She's sort of like the queen of the tank. Well, yes. Myrtle the turtle. I love that. Oh, and you're a big turtle fan. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't try and give her a little hug, did you? I gave her a wee kiss on the glass, actually, Andrew. <laughs> Probably after 60 other thousand lips had been wrapped around that giant ocean tank. You did say glass. Yes, I did. Boston Harbour Hotel is incredible. Now, if you Google Boston Harbour images, probably what will come up is this massive 60-foot-high archway, and it's sort of like the gateway to Boston. It's the most beautiful piece of architecture. And beneath the archway... The most ginormous American flag you have ever seen. They're big into their flags. I do love a flag waver. And Boston Harbour Hotel is is here. This is where it's based, perfectly poised on the harbour front. It's got the most beautiful maritime theme right throughout the property and with its decor and so forth. The staff are awesome, and they really capitalise on the vantage point on historic Rose Wharf because you've got those sweeping views of the harbour, You've got an amazing restaurant called Rose Wharf Sea Grill um, where you can just feast yourself on the ocean. It really is an irresistible property. Beautiful. Just ahead, we switch the big city for the coastal breeze and the colour of Kennedy Territory, which is Cape Cod. Back in a moment. Back with Kiwi Tripsters, Mike and Andrew, as we romp our way around Massachusetts. Michael with a head cold, me with a split tongue from a fruit salad. First world problems, I know. We're heading south from Boston and think beaches, not the movie, but actual beaches, lighthouses and the Kennedy family. Uh, Two words come to mind, Cape Cod. Yes. And I based myself in Hyannis for quite a fleeting foray with some of Cape Cod's finest features. Oh, really? I would have to say, avoid the summer crush uh, for a far more blissful experience. June, July, August, man alive, that place is a hot mess. Yeah. yeah. So steer clear of that. Mm -hmm. In the heart of Hyannis on Main Street, and unmissable, is the John F. Kennedy Hyannis Museum. And it feels like you've just sort of walked into a giant family photo album. It is so personal. Yeah. So poignant. All these magnificent portraits and, um, Did they have a rundown of his mistresses? <laughs> they only had Jackie on the wall. Oh, okay. No mention I th- of- I um, thought, I'm sure he had Marilyn on the wall. <laughs> no mention of MM. No, uh, no. But no, just beautiful, beautiful photos of them messing about in boats in Hyannis Port Harbour and out in Nantucket Sound and playing golf and you name it. It's just really, really cool. You may remember this because we were listening to this years ago. A guy called Jim Sutton used to host News Talks at B Nostalgia. Yes. And he was talking about JFK one night. And in his, his, his <laughs> signature tone. I remember this. He said, ah, JFK, he wasn't a president. He was more like a stoat. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Good old Jim Sutton. Oh, anyway. Yes. Uh, now, sticking with the Kennedy compound. This is where you'd want to go next. Yeah. So after you've done the museum, if you want to do a, a few more stops on the trail, head down to Hyannisport Golf Course. And just below that, the fabled Kennedy compound unfurls its splendor. All of these houses which form the compound all 
owned and used particularly in the summer by the Kennedy clan. You can actually walk around the compound's enclave of houses on the side streets. There were actually some signs that said private lane, but I just pretended I didn't see it, and I kept going. You and signs. So this is like the no photos it sign. Is and it is. No touch. Yeah, no touch. No yeah. touch. No, well, you go and <laughs> have a tactile experience. <laughs> but I tell you what, the salty air seems pregnant with the sense of history as you wander somewhat dodgily on those private lanes around the houses. It really is so special. And speaking of that golf course, I was told to go there into the car park of the golf course just before sunset. And it was great advice because you get the most amazing treacle-dripping sunset across Nantucket Sound from that golf course car park. And JFK would regularly swing his clubs on this particular golf course. Sorry, he'd regularly swing his... (laughs) The location is extraordinary. Yeah, he did do a lot of swinging of clubs, didn't he? (laughs) Beyond Hyannis, there's so much to discover along Cape Cod's 65-mile-long span that juts into the Atlantic like a curled arm. Yeah, if you look at a map... (laughs) Like a curled arm. It's like someone's like flexing their biceps while they swing their clubs. Right. I called into the Wider Pirate Museum just out of Hyannis. Man, this is truly a pirate museum. So the Wider was a pirate ship that sunk in a storm in Cape Cod waters about 300 years ago. And in 1984, it became the first authentic pirate shipwreck from the golden age of piracy ever discovered which was actually quite a remarkable triumph uh, for the explorer and the underwater archaeologist Barry Clifford. Okay, recovery of the Widers' remains is ongoing still, and the museum houses the largest collection of pirate artefacts, a parrot, a wooden leg, an (laughs) eye patch, (laughs) ever recovered from a single shipwreck. Yes, and there's so much to see in there. So the Wider was originally a British slave ship, And when it was captured by the pirate Samuel Bellamy, he then went on and plundered the treasure from 53 ships. Holy ships. (laughs) So they were very, very prodigious with their piracy. Yeah, they didn't lay around. This is the only museum in the world where you can see real pirate treasure. We're talking gold and silver coins that have been salvaged from the ocean floor off Cape Cod. Isn't that amazing? I love that old joke. How much does it uh, cost for a pirate to get his ear pierced? What's that? A buccaneer. (laughs) A couple of years ago, archaeologists also recovered six skeletons inside huge concretions from the Widers' watery grave. They are now on display. What do you mean inside huge concretions? Well, over time, Ah. just the the shipwreck and the interaction with seawater. Okay. It's sort of like barnacles. Concretions. I thought you were meaning like when the mafia... Beery people oh, in, right. the, in the concrete in the garage. Yeah, yeah, no, different type of concretion. Lovely. Yes. So, yeah, you can see all sorts of really interesting insights there. Throughout the Cape Cod, National Seashore Historic Lighthouses make for postcard perfect photos. Yes. and po- Postcard perfect. That's a very quaint old term. It's sort of more Instagram now, isn't it? Probably is. Yeah. Back in the 1950s, they probably <laughs> would have said chocolate box. Oh, yes. Oh, that's a chocolate box. They, that's right. I forgot yes. about that. Yep. Chocolate that, boxes would have little that's a, that's, scenes on That's them. a biscuit tin, you know? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I ventured to a handful of lighthouses, including the most iconic structure, Norset Light. I do love how the Americans call lighthouses light. Norset Light. 
let's go to Nauset Light. Is that as opposed to Budweiser Light? Different kind of light. I think so, right. <laughs> You've seen the light. Anyway, adjoined with the keeper's house at Nauset, this is a, like a, your, your classic red and cream oh, yeah. lighthouse. Yeah. And it's very, very famous because it's the logo symbol that emblazons the bags of Cape Cod potato chips. So if you ever go to Norset Light and wonder why are all these schmucks holding cameras and a bag of chips well, and taking is, photos, that's why. It is America. That's very America. I'd have a soda on the other hand. Yeah, that's true. There mm. are gorgeous towns on that seashore uh, drive as well, like Chatham, Chatham full of boutiques and art galleries, really cool place. They've got this amazing little movie theatre which does the best pizza in the whole wide world. In the whole wide world? I think so, Andrew. Very nice. Mm. Wherever your travels take you, you will ooh and ah over the Cape Cod-style houses. Yeah, and they have been replicated all around the world as a quite um, distinctive property design. You've got one right across the road from your house. Yeah, it's that sort of pitched (laughs) gabled roof, shingled exterior you yeah, know. symmetrical facade, often with shutters, dormer windows. Yeah. In Cape Cod, of course, they will always tend to be clad with cedar, shake, or clapboard. They'll have side shingles, which are typically left unpainted so that they just weather with the elements. But yeah, I just love Cape Cod houses. And to me, it's like comfort food architecture that has stood <laughs> the test of time. Not that I'm <laughs> suggesting you eat your house, but you know. <laughs> Love it. Just ahead, we swap the coast for the hinterland and head to Springfield, Western Massachusetts. Don't go away. You're back with Kiwi Tripsters, Mike and Andrew, as we highlight the diverse array of experiences in Massachusetts. Let's swap the ocean view for the woodsy, rolling hinterland of Western Massachusetts. Yes, it's home to some classic heartland towns. And my first stop in Western Mass was a rather fragrant one. It's about 30 minutes north of Springfield. The Yankee Candle Village (laughs) in South Deerfield is more than just a seasonal. And this this is their centre, as in scent, Centre of the universe. Yes, that's their tagline. Come on down to the centre of the universe. I think that's actually really clever. It's really clever. It's almost too clever. It is, yes. So this is the world's largest candle shop. It'll set you on fire. It certainly will. And your budget. Um, It is chocker with year-round temptations. You know that I'm a bit of a Christmas tragic. Mm. So I actually found it Mm -hmm. fascinating to unfurl myself amongst the festive flamboyance of the Bavarian village they have on site. And... It's just like Christmas every day there. Um, You can learn how candles were made throughout history. You can even try your hand at making one of your own, Andrew. And it's all very aromatic, an aromatic world of fun and very family-friendly. Now, there's a bit of a backstory to Yankee Candles. The founder was Mike Kitteridge. When he was 16, didn't have any money to buy his mother a Christmas present, he melted common household wax and a red crayon into an empty milk carton before adding some string for a wick. And neighbour saw Mike's project uh, before he could give it to his mum and made him an offer he couldn't refuse. <laughs> yeah. So he sold his mum's present. Mike sold the candle. He's not really moral, <laughs> is he? <laughs> but he used the profits to buy supplies and opened up a shop out of his father's garage. And to cut a long story short, his products gained local popularity, 
The company shifted its headquarters to its current location in South Deerfield uh, about 30 years ago. It now attracts 3 million visitors. So that's a lot of Christmas tragics, Andrew. That is a lot. That's 3 million a year on average. And they have over 200,000 candles in stock any one time at that village in more than 200 fragrances. I do want to know if his mother ever got a Christmas present. Is that? Well, no. hopefully in time she got shares in the company. Okay, fun fact. What is the most popular Yankee candle at Christmas? Mm. The answer is Christmas cookie. Yes. Sometimes in recent years. Two of the America's favourite things together, Christmas and cookies. I guess that's why mm. it's such a winner. Yeah. Some years it's been Christmas cinnamon. As opposed to, I don't know, Easter cinnamon. <laughs> but Christmas cookie for the last couple of years has been the number one selling Yankee candle at Christmas time. And the village really is like an escapist emporium. The, like- the, by the way, so there you go, folks. Next time you're at a party, that's a bit of trivia from it Michael is. that you yes. can actually tell someone. Yes. And they will think you're cool. Yes. This is a travel podcast you can use. Mm-hmm. Yes. Move on. Podcast news you can use. <laughs> There's a general store there. There's a gift boutique. There's a kitchen. You could spend hours, days, months browsing, sniffing, noshing. It's truly wondrous. As I say, Christmas every day at the Yankee Candle Village. Just writing that one down. (laughs) Okay. uh, Heading into Springfield, there is one particularly unique attraction that should take a pole position on your checklist. And this is very cool. A man by the first name of Theodore. The amazing world of Dr. Seuss Museum. Yes, the places you will go in Springfield at this museum. It is magnificent. And it adjoins the Dr. Seuss National Memorial Sculpture Garden, which was actually created some years ago in honour of the children's book author, who was your local. Um, He was a Springfieldian. His first published book, what was it, Andrew? Um, The Cat in the Hat. I'll give you a clue. And to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street. The cat's hat? No. (laughs) On the lorics? Yeah, no. (laughs) But anyway, um, the sculpture garden was inspired by that book on Mulberry Street. And and then the museum was built afterwards. Yeah, despite this whole cancel culture movement trying to move old Dr. Seuss sideways. Yes. The, the man was a genius. Total. The, the outdoor sculpture garden featuring famous Seuss characters like the Cat in the Hat and the Lorax has been an attraction for 20 years. But the museum didn't make its debut until five years ago. Indeed. And inside you will find it's a very kid-friendly interactive space. A lot of artifacts in Dr. Seuss's studio. The museum even owns the author's 117 bow ties. It's a lot of bow ties. There's an abundance of photo ops with the most famous characters. I've got one with the cat in the hat, and he is super cool. Even if you don't have kids, you will take an enchanting trip down memory lane at this very interactive celebration of an iconic children's author. Horton Hears a Who. That was a great book. Also in Springfield is the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame, a museum that sees almost 200,000 basketball fans file through each year. That's actually less, far less than the Christmas place you were talking about. There you go, I told you. Mm. There's a lot of Christmas tragics out there. Yeah. Uh, This Hall of Fame museum is beautifully presented and they'll induct quite a few players you know, every few months. I think at the moment there's 400 players inducted in the Hall of Fame. It's chock full of memorabilia. 
But the backstory, I wasn't aware of this, but James Naismith allegedly invented basketball in a Springfield YMCA gym in the late 19th century after being tasked with devising an indoor game to occupy the attention of a rowdy class of young men who couldn't go outside because it was too cold and they couldn't play baseball or football, obviously, inside the gym. Yeah, Naismith remembered a rock-tossing game he played as a child. How about a game where players threw a ball at a target, as opposed to a person? The team that tossed the most balls into the target would win. I know, this kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? And that's how basketball was born, a winter distraction in time uh, that became a global, hugely global sport. And, of course, netball bounced off basketball. (laughs) Through the hoop. Yes, it did. The real fun at the Hall of Fame Museum is the full centre, sorry, the full-size centre court where you can do your shooting and your passing and all sorts of skills, challenges. They've also got the hoop halls, high-tech experiential attractions. So in here, you can, like, measure your vertical leap. Mine was hopeless. Um, You can sit in the broadcaster's seat. I was was good at that. I was right at home. Uh, you can coach a team to victory. Yes, I coached the whole team to victory. And <laughs> even, <laughs> even play a game of virtual hoops. So get amongst it. Indeed. I'm sure you did. Now, 30 minutes south of Springfield, if you like your museums, you should definitely head to Hartford to see the Mark Twain House and Museum. Isn't it amazing? All these treasures in such a short close proximity to each other, including the Yankee Candle Village, Andrew, I must point out. Indeed. Now, Mark Twain was at what you yelled when you established the depth. Yes. You threw the string off the side of the boat. Yes. And Mark Twain was what you yelled when you had established how deep the water was. That's right. Fun fact question of the day. What was his real name? Samuel Clements. What was his wife's name? Um, Olivia, I think. Correct. Yeah. So, so that's it, folks. Mark Twain wasn't a real name. It was Samuel Clements. That's right. Yeah. So they commissioned their new home in Hartford in 1873. The house had every latest convenience, which you will see demonstrated well, well, on the tour. What's that in 1873? I mean, it's not going to be Wi-Fi with a home theatre. They didn't have a router. <laughs> uh, they didn't have a sky dish. No. But they did have um, an elevator. Oh, really? Yeah. They had... Um, running water? A, of yes, course, they had course, running yeah. water. They did get electricity. I can't recall from memory if they had it from the get-go or if it was installed later, but it was very much yeah, a showpiece for emerging technology in this three-story Victorian mansion. Mm. Lewis Tiffany, from Tiffany fame... Of course. ...was one of the four designers engaged for the interior of the house. So, as you can imagine... He had a few dollars, that one. He did. And, um, yeah. and, and the designs are just... Gorgeous, really strong exotic influences that were very popular at the time. And from this much-loved, luxurious family home, Mark Twain wrote several of his best-known works, including The Adventures of Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. It is a really sumptuous property, and the favourite room for most people is the gorgeous library room. And it's got a beautiful family feel to it. You can sort of imagine Mark Twain's family, um, sitting around, reading stories, writing stories. It just is a gorgeous, gorgeous space. The death of their daughter, 
is what prompted the family to sell the property. How'd she die? I can't recall. Okay. She wasn't very old though, but yeah, they sold the property in 1903. Thankfully, this mansion has been safeguarded as a National Historic Landmark, and it really is. If you think about America's great writers, you'd have to put Mark Twain right up there. Oh, he's world, you know. Yeah. Yeah. The amazing thing is the neighbour of Samuel and Olivia was Harriet Beecher Stowe. Ah. Best remembered as the author of Uncle Uncle Tom's Tom's Cabin. Cabin. Yeah which was a very powerful novel in terms of igniting anti-slavery sentiments in the States. Absolutely. Maybe so something in the water in them there parts. Must have been something in the water in Hartford, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it for now. Be sure to like our Facebook page and our show notes are, as always, available on the website, kiwitripsters.co.nz. Our articles on Matey, Massachusetts uh, will be available on our sister website, fortheloveoftravel.nz. That is fortheloveoftravel.nz. Plus, we would love you, as always, to rate and review Kiwi Tripsters on the podcast service of your choice. And we are everywhere. I tell you, it still surprises me. How would you rate it? If you were to give me some direct feedback right now, how would you rate it? Well, you've got a head cold. I've got a split tongue. I think we've sort of limped along in this episode, sounding a little bit, you know, but that's okay. I never like limping along. No, I don't either, but, you know, we have our bad days. Although I've got to say first world problems. Yes, indeed. But, you know. We will catch you in a week's time when we say talofa to sun, sand, and sights of Samoa. Yeah. Bye for now. Talofa. Ciao. Hey, Rue. Don't be a stranger. Don't go away. Too far, sui fua. Ciao. <laughs> and that's a wrap for this episode of Kiwi Tripsters. Liked what you listened to? Then join us for our next episode of Kiwi Tripsters, where we bring you more travel inspiration, giveaways, and insider knowledge with expert guests on the show. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram, and visit us on kiwitripsters.co.nz. But most importantly, subscribe and comment on Apple Podcasts, and tell us what you think of our show. Till next time, safe travels. Safe travels.